This was the decade when I became a mirror for my detractors. Whatever they decided I couldn't do is exactly what I did. To call Taylor Swift simply a pop singer is to miss the point. She's a one-woman global phenomenon. Taylor Swift fans may have taken her hit song, Shake It Off, too literally. Yeah, all the shaking at Swift's Seattle show this past weekend, it actually caused the equivalent of a 2.3 magnitude earthquake, and it lasted several hours. That's a new record. The 34-year-old is the first musician ever to become a billionaire solely based on her songs and performances. And yet it's her relatability that her fans love so much. Taylor, I Hello. love you. Can you show me? Oh my God, I love you. Taylor, I love you so much. When her tour hits town, its economic impact is so powerful that a new word has been coined, Swiftonomics. Not only is she boosting spirits, but she's boosting economies across the nation. Music journalist Zara Hederman explains just how Taylor Swift became Time Magazine's Person of the Year and why it calls her the main character of the world. She's such a timeless songwriter and her songs, they're so infectious and so irresistible. And I think what's great, even, you know, listening to her again, as I have throughout the week and even on my way in here, it's really difficult to not sing along with her songs. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, how 2023 became the year of Taylor Swift. Okay, Zara, are you a Swifty? I'm probably what people would term a pandemic Swifty. So I came to her music a bit later with folklore. But there was always just something, and it's probably just my own kind of, as we'll talk maybe later about how the music industry really paints certain female solo artists in a very kind of disparaging way. And maybe that, as a younger person, seeped into me to just kind of be trained to not like her. But with Folklore, something just opened up with me and Midnight's as well, her 10th album. It just kind of clicked with me. And even if I didn't really like her back in the day, I was always really fascinated by her because just the career she's had and how she has kind of composed herself. As a case study, she is such an interesting pop star to look at. Okay, so this month, December, she's 34. She had Mm -hmm. her birthday. She had a big party in New York. She's photographed all over the place. And she shared photos of that party with her 278 million Instagram followers. I'm just trying to give people an idea who may not know too much about Taylor Swift, an idea of how big she is. But, I mean, you couldn't escape Taylor Swift this year. And maybe it was the momentum building or whatever, but she was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And that means she was in the cover of Time magazine. There she was looking fabulous with a cat draped around her shoulders. And the interviewer called her the main character of the world. Okay, is that hyperbole or what do you think of that? Not, it's, I don't know. It's not really hyperbole when we look at how she dominated this year. And actually on her birthday in America, in her home state of Pennsylvania, representatives of the house kind of got together to recognize 2023 as Taylor Swift's era. House resolutions are legislation, and apparently the haters going to hate, 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 hate. 
and like senators voted on this and got an overwhelming um, like support of this. And it was all about how she really transcended being a pop artist. You know, Taylor Swift is someone who for the last number of years has been a subject in, you know, NYU College of like studying her and her success. And I thought that it's so interesting looking at how gargantuan she became this year when we think about 2018 and how her career was really on the downslide in some regards. Um, If we watch, say, like Miss Americana, the documentary on Netflix that came out, in the first 10 minutes of that, she's on the phone with her publicist and her publicist is letting her know about the Grammy nominations for that year. Hi. Good morning. And that would have been regarding to her album Reputation. And she finds out that that album is completely ignored in the main categories. Um, you are not nominated. And you can see in Taylor Swift's face, she's very hurt by this. Oh, okay, it's, um, this is good, this is fine. And she's holding back tears and her response is simply, I have to make a better album, it's fine. Is, you know what, like, this is fine. This is, I just need to make a better record. No, I'm making I'm making a better record. And at that point as well, like she had her reputation tour, ticket sales for that were bombing. You couldn't even give tickets away for that. And then we see, you know, her comeback with the Eras tour, how successful that's been. And I mean So the Eras tour is this year's tour. Yes. Okay. Um but we look as well at, you know, the main character of the world syndrome. To kind of look at her success this year, we go to, say, streaming for a start. She was the most streamed artist on the platform. Her music amassed more than 26.1 billion streams. Billion. Billion this year. We look at then how with the Time Person of the Year, she was the only woman to be featured on that twice. Forbes ranked her the fifth most powerful woman in the world. Wow. She's the only entertainer to ever feature in the top five of that. We look then at her net worth, which is dizzying. Uh, She is worth, as of October 2023, $1.1 billion. Yeah. So it's, look, it's it's Taylor's world and we're just, we're just living in it. Now look, the whole thing, isn't it, about Taylor Swift is that This isn't an artist who has been playing the same type of music for her 17-year career. She's been famous half her life. So can you take us back to 2006? Yeah, so 2006 is when she releases her debut album, Taylor Swift. Um, At that point, she is 17. And a bit of context to that, so she had been writing music basically from the age of like nine. She got a guitar at Christmas and immediately just was fascinated and passionate about documenting things that would happen in school, things with her friends, and in a very diaristic way. She then is obsessed with, say, Shania Twain, Faith Hill. She sees a documentary by Faith Hill and knows then that she needs to go to Nashville if she wants to make any kind of career for herself. And at this point, she is very much writing music in a country vein. Um, so and telling she, stories in country music. That's, that's what country music is. Exactly. But she does a very interesting thing where she taps into, you know, Being a country singer and having teenage girls really love it. And she becomes hugely successful in that. Then, so 
her first album comes out. That's successful. It peaks, I think, at number five in the Billboard chart, which I believe is the highest that any kind of female solo country album has ever done. So then we have 2008, Fearless, which is her second album. And this cements her stardom as a country singer. Um, so this album has the singles Love Story. We were both young when I first saw you. Uh, which is unavoidable. I was walking down the road the other night and there was someone busking it from a pub. It also has You Belong With Me, which, again, another pivotal moment in her career. You're on the phone with your girlfriend, she's upset, she's going off about something that you said, because she doesn't get your humour because at the VMA Awards uh, a few years later in 2009, we have the Kanye West instant where she's accepting the video for best female music video for You Belong To Me. I always dreamed about what it would be like to maybe win one of these someday, but I never actually thought that would happen. Uh, I sing country music, so thank you so much for giving me a chance to win a VMA award. I and that is when Kanye West storms on stage. Yo, Taylor interrupts her speech and initially you know she's talked about this quite a lot and has had to um, she initially thought he was coming up in a kind of excited way to like congratulate her maybe yeah. yeah and instead he berates the success I, I'm really happy for you I'm gonna let you finish but Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time and that really kind of crumbles Taylor Swift psychologically what happened directly after that Kanye West drama after that basically she got into a bit of a feud with him. Her confidence was really shook. And she's a really young woman at this time. She's only 19 like... 19 years yeah, old okay. when this instant happened, mm. yeah. And he's massive star, massive. Yeah, and I think about 32 at the time as okay. well. So this happens initially in 2009. In 2016, this resurfaces again because Kanye West released a song called Famous. And in that song, he has a very pointed and misogynistic line about Taylor Swift. Know me best. I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. Goddamn. I made that bitch famous. Which, you know, very much divided people and actually the, the media in the US, they were on his side and people were also just kind of trying to say that Taylor Swift was trying to act a victim in all of this, um, that, you know, she was reveling in, you know, this kind of hatred that was coming her way and it was really, really nasty. After those lyrics rocked the internet, Taylor's rep released a statement saying Kanye never asked Taylor permission to do the song but he did ask if she would promote it on Twitter. Quote, she declined and cautioned him about releasing a song with such a strong misogynistic message. So this video comes out and it's leaked from, I think it was Kim Kardashian, uh, his former wife, of a phone call that takes place between Kanye West and Taylor Swift, allegedly, where he tells her the line about her that's going to be in the song and she is seemingly, like, fine with it. Yeah, I mean, but it's come to light that this didn't happen at all like and what happens then is she talked very extensively about how this was like a narrative that went on for so many years that she never wanted to be a part of and 
she kind of realised that, you know, she can't control people's perceptions of her. She can't control, you know, the media being really mean to her. She can't control Kanye West fans at concerts shouting horrible things about Taylor Swift when this song is played. And she just realises that all she can do is control her music. And when she comes back then with the album Reputation, that is where she kind of focuses. It's one of her many reinventions. Because she's she, not a country star at this point then. No, yeah. She's gone through pop and with reputation, she delves into a bit more hip-hop kind of trip-hop. And it's all about, you know, the antagonistic kind of experience she had with celebrity. Zara, there's a song in her 1989 album, that's the name of the album, the song is called blank space and you know you talk about she, she writes about her life she writes about the details of her life. she writes about what's going on and this song it's her response I suppose retaliation to the media's portrayal of her because she was being portrayed as this young sort of nearly almost deranged serial dater she got such pushback in that instead she was just this woman in her 20s going out with fellas you know but Everyone was obsessed with her love life. And I think, you know, that that was 10 years ago when she was in her early 20s. Now she's in her, just heading into her mid-30s. That hasn't changed. No, absolutely not. Um, and in that song, actually, Blank Space, in the chorus, she sings, got a long list of ex-lovers, they'll tell you I'm insane, but I've got a blank space baby and I'll write your name. And with that song, she had been subjected to such, and it's extremely sexist, you know, prying into, as you were saying, a young woman's love life. But the media were loving to tear her apart for this and just being like, what's wrong with her? Like, she's a man-eater. Why is she going through all these men, etc.? And she has talked extensively about how that really impacted her. So with that song and in this kind of era, she then just turned to satire and, you know, portraying herself in these kind of different ways in her songs with great humour as well. You know, every single article was kind of like, um, had these descriptions of my personality that were very different from the actual personality. And the first, my first reaction was to be like, man, that's a bummer. This isn't fun for me. But then my second reaction ended up being like, hey, that's actually kind of a really interesting character they're writing about. Like, she jet sets around the world collecting men and then... (laughs) And she can get any of them, and then, but she's so clingy that they leave, and she cries, and, and then she gets another one in her web, and she traps them, and locks them in her mansion, and then she's crying in her marble bathtub surrounded by pearls. So I was like, I was like, I can use this. This is called Blank Space. And it is fascinating just kind of the list of people that she has gone out with because they are so high profile. You have from the beginning like Joe Jonas, Taylor Lautner from uh, the Twilight franchise, Jake Gyllenhaal very famously. People particularly love to pinpoint songs about him. Um, She went out with Harry Styles, Tom Hiddleston, Joe Alwyn for a number of years. And I think that was the relationship as well that people were very struck by because that lasted for six years. Because um, everybody got so excited here when there was a song, her previous boyfriend was making a movie in Dublin and she spent time and she put Wicklow, was it, in, in one of yeah. the songs? So we all got so excited about that. Yeah. Down 
deep inside your pocket We almost forgot it Does it ever miss Wicklow sometimes? And now we have uh, Travis Kelsey, who is a, uh, an NFL player with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's also gotten a lot of people into watching NFL. So it's fascinating as well, just how she's not only like upping the revenue in music, but also in sports, something that she doesn't have much of a hand in other than her boyfriend is an athlete. And of course, her fans now, her next album, they'll be scrutinising that to see is there any sport references or, or what? Exactly. Zara, in that uh, documentary about Taylor Swift, her mum and dad are never really far from her, I, I, I don't think, but her dad is, you know, he's warning her, he said, don't, don't comment on politics, stay out of it, stay out of politics, stay out of politics. Has she? She had until about 2018 and previously there's in interviews where she's on different like late night shows or radio interviews where she's asked about her political kind of leanings and she always would have said, oh, well, I'm just a singer. I don't need to like sway anyone's decision one way or another. So she really tried to stay out of it. And a huge part of that was labels saying, you're a singer, don't talk about this. But then it got to 2018 and there was a particular um, Senate in Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn, who was leaning towards very like anti-women legislation, very anti-gay rights. And Taylor Swift just was very frustrated by this. And as someone who grew up and made her career in Tennessee, she didn't want Marsha Blackburn's views to represent the whole state of Tennessee because Swift was like, that's not what I stand for. She has a huge gay following in her fan base and she was like, I have to speak out about this because I have fans who will feel that I'm going against them if I don't. So in 2018, she um, announced her support for Democratic candidates, uh, Phil Bredston and Jim Cook. And that was the first time that she had ever talked about this before. The media, again, exploded. Reporters asked Donald Trump what that he thought of her coming out in support of the Democrats. Let's say that I like Taylor's music about 25% less now, OK? So she actually received quite a lot of backlash from, say, more right-wing leading fans. And you can see in that documentary just how much that meant to her to speak out. And voting numbers really rose up because of her speaking out. And even in 2016 with the election, one of the most popular things Googled was who was Taylor Swift voting for before she had kind of shown support for the Democrats. Amazing. Hmm. I'll continue my conversation with Sarah Hederman after this short break. So Taylor had a good pandemic, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Okay, so talk to me about that. Yes, so... It's actually funny as well, because after um, 
her album Lover came out, which was another that was uh, a bit dismissed by the Grammys and I'm sure something that was very disappointing to her. Something that was actually very fortuitous to her was with the pandemic coming, she had to cancel her Loverfest tour and it allowed her to go back into you know, her studio. She actually retreated quite a lot over lockdown. She said she read a lot of books like Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca. She was watching a lot of films like, say, Pan's Labyrinth. So all of these very, like, dark narratives. And it really inspired her to shift her songwriting style as well because she didn't really want to feed into that tabloid speculation in her songwriting. Folklore and Evermore, the pandemic albums, they really opened out her songwriting because she was actually just really fascinated by different story arcs and narratives and writing characters instead. Betty, I won't make assumptions about why you switched your homeroom, but I think it's because of me. Much more ethereal sounds, indie kind of folk, which again, it was just her reinventing herself in a very interesting but also very seamless way which I think she is very very good at and I think that that just kind of goes to show just how strong of an artist she is. So in March of this year she began her era's world tour and so far it's the highest grossing tour of all time. It's tipped her as you say into the billionaire category. How would you describe the reaction to the tour? it's been um, quite overwhelming even just to read about it and how the era's tour ticket tobacco escalated so many different things to, you know, the Senate meeting up and having to, like, uh, draw a bill called the Fans First Act. It's basically um, a bill that is legislation to rebuild trust in the ticketing system by cracking down on bots. Because as we saw, when the Eras tour was announced and there was so much demand and excitement for this, you had 3.5 million people registering for the Ticketmaster's pre-sale programme in the US alone. When the tickets then did go on sale, Ticketmaster crashed. It was the quickest it had ever crashed. And 2.4 million tickets were sold and that broke the record for the highest number of tickets sold for an artist in a day. And then fans became quite dismayed by how Ticketmaster kind of took advantage of the whole situation. They felt that they were acting very deceitful. First, there was the anticipation. But when the queue opened up to finally buy tickets for Taylor Swift's upcoming stadium tour, for fans, the Swifties went from freaking out. Are you joking? To melting down. The tickets you have selected have been released. The line has stopped moving. The website fully crashed. They waited in line for like six hours. The fans actually kind of rallied together to sue Ticketmaster um, because of things like scalpers, which is, you know, a person who resells tickets at a lot much larger profit. You had tickets being resold at $22,000. Wow, for one seat to go to see Taylor Swift in concert. Yeah. Wow. So you want to be a diehard fan. Oh, Swifty, you'd be yeah, a Swifty yeah. there to go to that one. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't be me. So they sue Ticketmaster for deception, fraud, price fixing and antitrust. That leads to a three hour long hearing by the Senate. Democrats and Republicans grilled Ticketmaster's representative, Joe Berthold, about, you know, Ticketmaster's monopolistic policies, ticket costs, uh, lack of transparency, all of these different issues. We apologize to the fans. 
We apologize to Ms. Swift. We need to do better and we will do better. And that then led to bring in this new legislation to protect consumers. And that's where we got the Fans uh, First Act. So that was something huge that Taylor Swift kind of was the catalyst for. The Euros Tour has also introduced this word, Swiftonomics. Yes. And I mean, I, I, I was reading somewhere that in her two Denver era shows, she's played, her, she brought her tours to the Eras concert to Denver, played two shows, and was estimated to contribute 140 million to Colorado's GDP. I mean, yeah. that's extraordinary that these two concerts, phew, yeah. And on the opening night of the Eras tour at the State Farm Stadium, it brought in more revenue for local businesses than the Super Bowl did, um, which was held a month beforehand. Each Eras tour kind of grosses in and around 13 million. And it's thought that she will bring in more than 300 million after playing the first 22 concerts alone. And then, of course, I think maybe another aspect that makes her sort of so appealing is the idea is that this is all her, that she is a really smart businesswoman. Mm. Talk to me about what happened with her albums, the whole business of remastering, redoing, going over, doing her albums. Tell me about that. This is one of the smartest things I think she's ever done in her career. So for context in this, she had signed with the label Big Machine and that was sold to a guy called Scooter Braun for $330 million. And that was funded by various like private equity firms. And what this meant was that obviously Big Machine as her label, they owned the masters to her first six albums at this point. And she wasn't happy with this figure, Scooter Braun, who she has uh, referred to in the press as incessant manipulative bully. Oh, okay. Yeah, like in 2018, 2019, when all of this happened, there was a massive dispute between the two of them and between her right to her music. By 2019, she decided that what she was going to do was re-record those albums so that she could own them again. I made it very clear that I wanted to be able to buy my music. That opportunity was not given to me and it was sold to somebody else. And so I just figured I was the one who made this music first. I can just make it again. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. She retained publishing rights to those masters because she was a songwriter on all of those songs. It gave her the kind of access to have those publishing rights. And luckily she did, because if she didn't, she wouldn't have been able to do this. So from 2021 to this year, she's done four re-records and they'll all be called, you know, like Fearless, Taylor's version, 1989, Taylor's version. What's interesting is that these re-records are being presented to people almost like completely new albums. And it's like, you know, the previous one never existed. And I think that that was also quite a crucial thing of expanding her fan base to younger audiences as well. So maybe people, teenagers who missed the first kind of wave of Taylor Swift in 2006 to 2009, Because, you know, you listen to something like Fearless with Love Story, um, the song 15, and those songs are very much from a teenage point of view. They resonate with teenagers. So they're hearing these songs afresh. And again, because it's being marketed as something that's new, it's something that is shiny and attractive to them. So it was a very smart move. She really showed to her contemporaries, to future generations of songwriters, the importance of owning your work, the importance of owning um, your songwriting. 
I've always wanted to own my own music since sure. I started making my music. And if you probably don't know this, but most of your favorite artists do not own their work. Um, the music industry is, uh, eh, you know. Um, so 2024 then, let's, let's look ahead. The Eras Tour will come to Europe. It'll come to Ireland. Has Taylor Swift, as we said, she keeps reinventing herself. Has she given any indication what's going to happen after the Eras Tour? What we can maybe forecast for 2024 is maybe two more re-records. If you also look at the um, the timeline of her album releases, they don't really go more than two years between releases. So we had Midnight's in 2022, which I think is one of her strongest albums. Hopefully in 2024 we'll have a new album. Will it maybe herald a new reinvention, a new era for her? I would probably imagine so. I'm struck also that Madonna has started her tour and Madonna is 65. So do you think Taylor Swift has that sort of longevity? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And even watching um, the Miss Americana documentary, which I highly recommend people to watch. because That's about Taylor Swift. It is. Yeah. And it's on Netflix. But she you know, approaches that topic of reinvention. And she said how she looked to a lot of female artists that she really admired, Madonna, um, Shania Twain. And she says how she really noticed early on that women go through so many more reinventions than the male counterparts. And she noted that it's because women have to in some regards. They have to, or else you're out of a job. Constantly having to reinvent constantly finding new facets of yourself that people find to be shiny. Be new to us. Be young to us, but only in a new way and only the way we want. And reinvent yourself, but only in a way that we find to be equally comforting, but also a challenge for you. I think whatever she does, people will be interested. Like myself, I was a complete disbeliever of Taylor Swift. And now I'm someone who is... Born so, again Swifty. I'm born again Swifty, yeah. Um, I'm really interested to follow her trajectory because she's so good at what she does. Zara, thanks very much. Thanks so much. That's it for today. For more arts analysis and news, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the News is taking a break over Christmas, but in the meantime, we'll be publishing from our archives every day the best of 2023.